Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. This is the No Water Methodist Podcast, and you have joined us once again for spiritual encouragement, which we hope to offer you. So glad to have you with us. Once again, our podcast is going to cover the proclamation of the word from this last Sunday and um, deals primarily with humility and with receiving abuse for God's glory. And so uh, the psalm and the Isaiah reading talk about God not letting us be ashamed even though we're being abused. And then um, the New Testament readings have to do with uh, setting the example of humility through obedience to God and being of the same mind together and serving one another. So these are all core key uh, Christian themes that shouldn't be surprising. It is kind of a, a, a darker meditation on the Word because it's Palm Passion Sunday and it's a meditation on how it is that those voices that were yelling out Hosanna and praising Jesus as King ended up uh, shouting, uh, kill him, crucify him. And so a reflection on our own natures uh, so easily compromised by other loyalties. So um, I hope it's a worthy meditation for you in the lead up to Good Friday here in a couple days. Also, um, just as a, a general informative factoid, in the English-speaking world we call Sunday Easter, but for the majority of the Christian world, it's called Pascha or Passover. It's the Christian Passover. And throughout the world, we are talking about celebrating um, the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, the bodily resurrection, and the implications that has for us. So um, I don't do this very often, but um, apparently we have a number of listeners just from all over the place, and I don't know how many of you belong to a local church body. But if you don't, um, go praise Jesus this Sunday. Join a local fellowship to celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and um, may his name be lifted high. God bless you. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9a, which you can find on page 1043 in your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? The word of the Lord. Bible is an ancient and eternal text that requires a lot of us. Um, there are a lot of people who 
read a scripture for the first time and they get some of the meaning and they think that they understand the fullness of it. And they'll run into things that they have a hard time reconciling and they'll say, this doesn't make any sense, and then they'll just be done with it. So this is such a passage where, one, if, if we're, you were so inclined to be disingenuous, that word means the opposite of gracious or generous. If you were inclined to be disingenuous, you could go, here this guy is talking about that I gave my back to smiters. People are hitting my back. I gave my chicks to them that plucked off the hair. You think it'd feel good for me if you ripped off this beard? I would probably scream. Please don't do that. Um, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. People are shaming me and spitting on me, beating my back, tearing out my beard. And then it goes directly to, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. It just now said that people are pouring out shame on me. And yet I'm not going to be ashamed. That makes no sense. I'm closing my Bible and walking away. That's how a lot of people approach their Bibles. They just go, I, I don't know. It says two opposite things at the same time. I got nothing. First off, let's just, let's just step back from that. As it's describing this person that abuse is being heaped on, does that make you think of anybody? Yeah, Jesus. You know, it doesn't say that he had a beard and they tore it out. Um, but they were definitely beating him. They were definitely mocking him and spitting on him. A lot of Christians read this as a prophetic text about Jesus' suffering. It probably has multiple layers to it. Isaiah, we know, was not an appreciated prophet. He probably did get beat up a few times. He's talking about what it is uh, and what it would be like for Jesus. And then, spoiler alert, what it would be like for us to stand for truth and righteousness. We live in a world of darkness where people prefer getting along, uh, giving in, um, being safe to being bold, being free, and being faithful. Those are the, that's the world we're living in, and it has never appreciated. Jesus said uh, the world has always taken offense at him. He says, if you follow me, the world will take offense at you. It, he, it's, it's not a mystery. Jesus, let it be known if we follow him. Well, y'all remember what he said. Anyone who wishes to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, follow me. When he says take up my cross daily, we just go right past that. We already said a cross is an instrument of suffering, shame, and death. He says take that up daily. Let that impress itself upon you every day. Make that a part of who you are, this instrument of suffering, shame, and death. I don't think there's any way to, any other way to interpret that. You know, the cross is a very, we forget this. We see crosses everywhere we go. It is a uh, scandalizing symbol. You know, Mormons are one sect of, of people that they will not have crosses anywhere. They, they're like, that's like putting an electric chair up at the front of your sanctuary. You guys just worship death. No. It is like an electric chair, but we're not worshiping death. We're worshiping the God who went through death to get to us. We're worshiping the God who decided to be treated as we deserved so that we can be treated as he deserves. That's what Jesus did for us. And there's no way to talk about that story without talking about the cross. This Isaiah prophecy is talking about our Savior who endured this abuse for us. And then as we get to the Philippians reading today, we're going to realize we are now called to suffer for others. And the guarantee here is, if we go through this shame, suffering, and death, then we will not be ashamed because God will be with us. Verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. 
He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. This is talking trash. Who will be my adversary? Let him come near. Behold, the Lord God will help me. So nobody can condemn me. The scriptures are constantly putting it it to us. Do you believe in God or do you believe in yourself? Who's your Lord? What does the Lord mean? Boss. He's your boss. He's your master. He's He's the one who's telling you what to do day to day. Who is your boss? Who is your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you doing what he says day to day? Or are you waking up and doing what's right in your own eyes? That's scriptural language for following your conscience. That, dis- that an- analysis is before us every day. Who is your Lord? Who is your boss? Who is guiding you in the way that you lead your life? Are you doing what's right in your own eyes, or are you doing what's right as God has given it to you? Are you walking in the path of Jesus? That's the good path. Or are you walking on the path that makes the most sense to you, that feels right and good and pleasing to you? I'll tell you, if you're walking the path of what's right in your own eyes, then if you haven't already, one day you will find yourself in a place where you're on the side of the people who are against Jesus. You will look around and go, oh, Jesus spoke directly about what I'm doing, and he was not in favor. But then by then, it's too late. You'll go, hey, this is where I am. This is who I am. You remember in Revelation, there are several times where God is just pouring out his wrath on people. And rather than repent and go, oh, God, I'm so sorry, they curse God all the more. They don't repent. And that's how sinners are. When you have finally found yourself against Jesus, if you've gone that far in rebellion, you don't repent after that point. You just keep on going. You dig your heels in and you curse God's name. And there are plenty of people who've sat in pews first few decades of their life and they find themselves aligned against God. Heck, there's people who sit in pews still and are aligned against God. And they'll praise his name on Sunday and they'll live against him all the other days of the week. There are even churches that align against the word of God and preach the opposite truth as a higher truth. We live in a very confused age, brothers and sisters. We need discernment. And one of the ways that we can discern if we're on the side of right or wrong is, am I willing to suffer for this? Am I willing to suffer? Are the people around me willing to suffer? Are they willing to pay a price? Or how many people are going to fall away when the going gets tough? Whenever the reward is not immediately op- uh, uh, evident. How many people are going to fall away whenever there's some danger to, to bodily health, to reputation, to wealth? What are we to think of a faith that disappears when those things are no longer present? When there might be some pain involved? I'm not sure that such faith is worth very much. All right, our psalm today is Psalm 31. It's on page 764 of your hymnal. And uh, the response is response one. You'll, uh, you'll immediately recognize it. Could you give me that C? A mighty fortress is our God, our bulwark never failing. Let's sing that together once and then we'll read. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me.
You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction and have taken heed of my adversities. gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. So I pretty much already gave the sermon on this one. You should have seen the same themes. Uh, before we get into the themes, let's look at verse 5 real quick. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Have we ever heard those words before? Who said those words? Do you think that was a coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, Jesus said these words on the cross, did he not? And his references to the, this is not his only reference to the Psalter, the Psalms, from the cross. So this, what Jesus did, is like quoting one line in a song when you know the rest of the lines. So when he's saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is once again saying out loud his beliefs that, in you, O Lord, I seek refuge, let me never be put to shame. There's this concern of shame right here, right? Here in, in the Isaiah passage, it was, people are beating my back, they're tearing out my beard, they're spitting on me, they're scoffing at me. Here in this psalm, it's, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the streets flee from me. It's only happened to me a couple of times, but you ever see somebody in the grocery store at the end of the aisle and they see you and they, they kind of go the other way. They don't want to see you. Well, that's, that's not that big a deal. But what happened to Jesus is he was getting arrested and put on trial. And the people who loved him, who he'd been traveling with and healing and ministering to for three years, they all ran away. And even Peter, who tried to stay close whenever they called him out, he said, I, I, I don't know him. He denied Jesus three times. That's what it was like to be Jesus. How, did, how do you think that felt? 
to be utterly hated by everybody. The people who love you just run away. You're all alone, suffering in agony. You know that you were crucified naked? It's, he had no dignity up there on that cross. You're shaking. You're, you're falling apart. You're going between putting your weight on your feet, which is agonizing because there's stakes through your feet, and then finally you give in, and then you're tearing your arms or your wrists, wherever they, they nailed you. It's tearing that, and you're... Your, your airflow is cut off, and so you're going back and forth between tearing your hands and then tearing your feet, and you can barely breathe, and you're just shaking, and you're naked, and gee, do you think that that's embarrassing? Do you think that that was a source of great shame? And yet, Jesus was not ashamed by the Lord. The Lord did not let him see shame. This is, this is one of these mysteries. According to the world, Jesus was most ashamed. He was ashamed. I mean, this was a punishment only given to the most shameful Roman uh, uh, criminals. They gave it to him to humiliate him. And yet, what happened was not the world's biggest humiliation. It was the most glorious, beautiful thing this world has ever seen. The world sees nastiness and gore. We see beauty and love. That's what happened at the cross. That's why we call it Good Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? How would you feel if you had a death sentence and someone else ste uh, stepped in to take your place? Good. The, you know, we might feel a little guilty, but the thing is, Jesus, that was a win-win-win deal. I mean, it was no joy for him to be up. Well, you know what? Was it a joy? I know he didn't enjoy it, but do you think, I don't think he would be up there if he didn't want to be, right? Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, right? He could have busted out of there. He could have killed all those guys, right? And yet he chose to be up there. Why? Because he loves us, and the price needed to get paid. And even after he paid that price, yes, he descended to the dead, but on the third day, he busted right out of there. Where is he now? Is that a good place to be? So Jesus was able to pay the price for us and get where he belonged. God raised him from the dead. And it was not a pleasant thing. Jesus wasn't up on the cross going, man, I should have done this years ago. Oh, I just love being up here on this cross. There was none of that. He, he was in a miserable, wicked, dark place. And even so, he chose to do it knowing, knowing exactly what it entailed. What happened on the cross was not a, a, an abusive father pouring out his wrath on a, uh, an innocent uh, child who just wants his daddy to love him. That's not what happened. Jesus, the man co-eternal with the Father, chose to be here with us and chose to take our punishment on the chin because he loves us and wants us to be worthy of being with him for all eternity. But the price did need to get paid, and it's a shameful price according to the world. We need to look at what Jesus did and go, gee, does that have anything to do with me? And the answer is yes. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone, a cross for you and me. The other place, there's one other thing I'm going to tie into this. I read an article last night. I already talked about China this morning, but I read an article last night that China is increasing its nuclear weapons capacity tenfold. And they've just been collecting and making nuclear arms left and right. And for a minute, my brain went to that crazy place. My family doesn't have a bunker. We need a bunker, we need an air filtration unit, we need some gas masks, we need enough food set aside so we can just lay underground for a year, we need some guns. I went to that place in my brain, I did. 
Well, Jesus didn't die so that I could be quaking in my boots in fear, waiting for a death that's going to come for me anyway. Are you going to die someday? So am I. If it's not the Chinese that do it, it's COVID that does it. If it's not COVID that does it, it's heart disease that does it. God has not called me to lead a life of fear. He's called me to be bold and faithful. And I'm not going to be that if I'm quaking in my boots afraid. I, I, I would hate for a nuclear holocaust to come. But I read stories of guys being persecuted for their faith in the USSR a few decades ago. In human conditions. They went through things that uh, a bomb would... <laughs> a bomb's like this, guys. You can suffer for years and not die. You know this? They would keep guys, 12 guys in a small, small room. Not feed them for weeks. Take their, their uh, clothes away. Just completely subhuman conditions. And some of these guys survived and they said, It was awful. But it was also the most beautiful thing I ever experienced because I learned to rely upon the Lord in a way I never did before. I realized that my faith before then didn't count for much. But when the Lord is all you have, he becomes all you need. And that's something that strikes hard into me because I have never had to lean upon the Lord. Not really. I've had some dark nights of the soul. But I've never been thinking I'm going to starve to death with 12 other naked hungry men. I've never been persecuted by a government that arrests me for my faith. And you know what? It could be that the, the Pax Americana, the time of peace in America, just goes on for another century. It could be that we never see any hard times, that the Russians and the Chinese keep their nukes to themselves, that, that we just have all kinds of wealth and prosperity. But you know what? It could also be that this all falls apart. And what then? Where's your faith going to be then? What's it going to be good for then? Are you going to stand by Jesus whenever you're getting persecuted for it? When people hate you for it? When there's a hostile government coming after you for it, where are you going to be? Are you going to be standing at Jesus' side, or will you be ashamed of him? Or will you just put him off to the side and go, I need to focus on practical things now, Jesus. I need to focus on my bomb shelter and my guns. I'll come back to you when this is over. These two mentalities I'm lifting up here, they don't fit together. And I'm not casting guilt on you if you own a few guns. But I am wanting you to question if you're living a life that's fearful, afraid of the next thing that threatens your life, it's not how Jesus has called you to live. These scriptures were written down so you can go ahead and anticipate, what am I going to do when the time of suffering comes? What's before us now is to prepare, because hard times probably are coming. Let's read this next reading. Third reading from Philippians. Thank you, Karen. Morning. Our third reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which you can find on page 1655 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this sets, gives us an encouragement, an exhortation, and then tells us why. And the exhortation is, don't be selfish, but put others before yourself. Did you get that? Uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Vainglory is uh, your own vanity, uh, wanting to praise yourself. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. This runs counter to the worldly ethic. The worldly ethic is in order to take care of others, you need to take care of yourself first, right? If you're going to save other people on the plane, you got to put on your, your own oxygen mask first, right? That's, that's what Oprah will tell you when you turn on TV, right? We'll tell you you can't keep giving to others without taking care of yourself. That's the message of the world. That's why there are stories of Jesus being so tired and so irritated and wanting to get away, and yet the people came to him like sheep without a shepherd, and he had mercy on them, and he gave, and he healed anyway. You remember those stories? They are directly in dialogue with the message of the world, which is you got to keep yourself number one, right? We are third. God comes first. Others come second. We are third. When you are in Christ, if you believe what the Bible says, you're not at threat anymore. There is nothing anyone can do to harm you. We said, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors. We started that at the beginning of worship. And yet, how many people will say something like that in worship and then go home and be fearful and selfish, right? That's why we're doing this stuff in worship. We come up against it every week because we're swimming through the worldly waters that tell us it's okay. In fact, it's good to be selfish. You know, I read Ayn Rand like everybody else in high school. Actually, I don't know if y'all ever read uh, Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead. Uh, she's, she's, well, okay, y'all didn't read it. She, is a, she was actually a Russian author, I think, but we love her in America because... Her way was the capitalist way. You put yourself first. You make as much money as you can, and you think about yourself, and it turns out that's good for everybody too, everybody else too. That's against the ethic of Christ Jesus, which is don't even worry about yourself. You're going to be fine. Worry about those other people who don't know Jesus. Worry about those other people who are suffering. You can take it. They might not be able to. Here in Philippians, it's saying if you want if you have any compassion at all, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then that's how you're going to spend your life. You're going to spend it pouring yourself out for others. And I know I'm kind of beating up people today, but we got a lot of people in this church that pour themselves out for others. And I don't know if you see them like I do. I don't know how many of you are looking at other people very much. You should look at other people because other people are doing amazing things around us. There are people that, that show up and don't, they just do. They don't ask for anybody to see it. They just pour themselves out. Not ask for any reward, not ask for any credit. And those are people that I, I'm pretty sure know Jesus. That's kind of how he tells us to live. Well, what if somebody wants to be selfish, though? You know, I, I, I didn't have everything handed to me like you did, Pastor Jeffrey. 
I had to work for everything that I've got. I didn't have loving parents like you, Jeffrey. I wasn't born white like you, Jeffrey. I wasn't born a man like you, Jeffrey. You know, we, people, we live in a world where people do this, you know. I've had it rougher than you. I need to get what's mine. You only live once, and, and I, one day I'll be dead, and it'll be too late. That's how you can tell if somebody believes in salvation or not. If they think this is the only life we got, you got to do everything now, they don't believe in salvation. Because what we're promised is so much better than anything we can get on this side of heaven anyway. Anyway, the main thing I was going for here is there are a lot of people who don't want to obey. And so, you know, what, why? Why should I obey? Just because God says? Well, no, because God did. And that's what it goes on to here. Uh, let the same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, because he was in the form of God. He was God, but he didn't, he didn't get confident about it. He, he didn't uh, abuse that, that he was equal with God. Rather, he made of himself no reputation. He took the form of a servant and was made in our likeness. And being found like us, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, even the death of a cross. That's how Jesus lived. He is the author of life. He was the one who created everything. And yet he chose whenever he came, not lording it all over us, but being humble and serving, suffering, dying. That's how the king of the universe behaved. And we think we're better than him so that we don't have to live that way? That doesn't make any sense, guys. If that's how our Savior lived, that's how we live. And if we're following him and nobody's taking offense and everybody just thinks we're great and we have all the friends in the world and we're just doing so well, well, then that's evidence that we're not doing something right. Jesus said the world hated him, so it's going to hate us. We need to be prepared for that. Do we want to be with Jesus in the end? He's told us what to do. It's not going to be fun. Jesus wasn't up there talking about how much he loved being on the cross. We're not going to go through life going, oh, I just love suffering. Oh, oh could you just hit me again, please? That's not how we're going to live. We're going to hate it. There are going to be hard times, but we're going to pray for one another. We're going to support one another. We're going to get through this thing to the bitter end, and we're going to find God's glory is there, and it's worth every tear, every drop of blood. Can we believe that? God help us if we can't. That's what we're up against every week. And every week I'm up here saying, let's literally believe this stuff and see what happens. And y'all are going, yeah, yeah. And then we just need to go out and live it. And you know what? I think we've been doing that. And I think this gets more and more real for us every year. I've watched a lot of you grow in holiness year by year. I've seen some of you step back, but not step out. That's this game. I mean, that's the church. That's what we do. That's our way of life. It would be wonderful if we could just achieve it, uh, hit, hit, that, hit that end goal, and, and just sit in our own glory for the rest of life. That's not how it is. It's a long slog all the way through, and that's why we need the church. That's why we need worship. That's why we need scripture. That's why we need prayer, and that's why we need one another. I need you. I don't like saying that. I, don't, I, I feel like an independent, proud person. I need you. And a lot of these people in the pews, they need you too. This isn't just between you and Jesus. We're all in a covenant community together. You can't step out. There was somebody who broke my heart in Shoshone, Idaho, whenever I was pastor there. We were good friends. I built her up. She, was, she loved me and Sarah Beth. She was part of our family. 
we prayed together, we, we prayed over her, we had seen amazing times in the faith together, and then one day, she didn't even talk to me in my face, she sent me a text message, she said, I need to step away, that's what's right for me and my family, and that was it, broke my heart, a lot of things like this have happened over the years, it turns from a communal, we, we're walking in the light of God together, we love each other, we're, we're in this together, to all of a sudden, something shifts, and it's about me now, I need to do what's right for me. Me and my family. And it breaks my heart every time. Because the church is never bad for you or your family. That's something that the evil one puts in your way. To think that you got to choose between the church and the ones you love. If you love people, then you need to be here. You need to be plugged into God's family. You need to be plugged into this way of life. Because if you step away, well then you're no longer a helper. You're a person who needs help. Anyway, that's a sermon for another day. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 29. You can find it on page 1476 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. And when the hour was come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And when they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is the chief, let him be as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. This is the word of the Lord. So this story we have is just before the point. He has rested that night, and the rest is history, as they say. But we often forget the things that he preached and prayed about on that final night before he was apprehended. Here he institutes the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, which we observe on a monthly basis. Jesus said, do it as often as you drink it. It should probably do, be more frequent, if we're being honest. Uh, he talks about that, instituting a new covenant. Um, all that's important, but the thing that fits with today's message is how we should live in response to it. And Jesus leads them in this meditation going, here in this world, people who are great, do they serve or do they get served? And here in this world, the people who are great, they get served. Yeah. They have servants. When, when they go out to eat, they have, you know, when they're in their home, they have people cooking their meals for them, serving them. Jesus said, yeah, that's how people in this world live. Is that how I'm living, though? 
Am I being served or am I serving? And he says, I'm serving. I came as a servant. And if you want to be great, if you want to be with me, if you want to look like me, then you will serve too. You see how this fits together today? Yes, we want to be great. Yes, we want to live for eternity in God's light and comfort. There's nothing wrong with liking comfort. There's nothing wrong with liking peace. Those are things that the heart yearns for. But the problem is when we do it our way, it results in death and destruction and misery. We have to do it Jesus' way, and Jesus' way leads to a cross. 